Oh, hi. Welcome to the Cybersecurity Cafe podcast. This is where Louisa and Beverly bring you the experts, the stories, and the research impacting the cybersecurity profession today. Hi, I'm Louisa Vogel and Zhang. Hi, I'm Beverly Roche. Together, we are your co-hosts for the Cybersecurity Cafe. Louisa, Beverly, we've got Ken Gamble in the cafe today. We have. How did you meet Ken? So I met Ken uh, just a few weeks back, actually. I was doing my very first TV appearance on Sky News. Um, it was a Scam Watch show. And Ken was the other guest on the panel and had a chat to him after the show and just thought, wow, he does such such fascinating work. Wouldn't it be great to get him in the cafe, have a chat with him? Beverly, I handed you this interview <laughs> this yeah, time payback around time. <laughs> because of your background in e-crime and I thought this would be the perfect guest for you to interview, even though I would love to have done it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's you chatting to Ken today and I'm really excited to listen to this chat. So delighted, Ken, to have you on the program today. And I really wanted to ask you about how did you get into cybersecurity? Mm, well, it's a long story, and obviously we don't have all day. So <laughs> my, my career started in 1988 as a fraud investigator. And uh, it was actually 2002 when I started to investigate a very large online spamming case for AOL in America. Uh, they had a judgment for $6 million against a notorious American, um, and I was asked to track him down, and I found him in the Philippines, had him arrested, and served the judgment on him when he was in custody. So from that point forward, I knew that, that uh, criminal activity on the internet was going to become a massive uh, criminal business, and, and I decided that I was going to pursue cybercrime as a career. That's so exciting, isn't it? What um, So the Philippines for you seems to be an interesting destination, doesn't it? Your career yes. sort of started in the Philippines, didn't it, really? That's right. And I, 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 I loved working with the Philippines police. Uh, they were just so delightful to work with, uh, professional, uh, committed. You know, I, I really, really liked it over there. And uh, I, I developed relationships there and I went on to uh, open an office there. And, you know, the rest is history. We, we've done raid after raid over in the Philippines in recent years. So fast forward today as the co-founder and executive chairman of a professional crime investigation service, can you tell us a little bit more about what you do on a day-to-day basis and why this service is required? Well, I, I spend my days uh, working either in the office or, or in the field, depending on what I'm doing at the time. But I, I manage a, a team of investigators uh, and also I have a support management team. Um, I have operations managers in various countries, the UK, the Philippines and the US. Um, and we basically coordinate investigations across the world in, in various different time zones, um, mostly criminal groups that use internet and telephones as their main platform for committing crime, uh, usually large-scale investment fraud, uh, either over the telephone or over the internet. Um, I also spend a lot of time with clients, uh, working out strategies on how to recover their money. 
and uh, I, I work closely with the police in various different countries, law enforcement agencies. Um, I sometimes speak at major events. I probably do about three or four major events a year. Uh, I've chaired the National Fraud Summit for the past four years, so I do enjoy uh, making those appearances at these events um, and promoting awareness for uh, for cyber crime, cyber security, and, and investment fraud. And look, reading reading what your organisation does reads a little bit like a Jason Bourne script. You know, finding high profile people, working for high profile people. Um, because a lot of this, you know, for the cybersecurity community mm. and for the broader community, people don't, I need you to kind of unpack a little bit for us. How on earth do you recover money? We know that the banks will cover certain things, but you know, are these people, so without, you know, divulging, are these people that really have lost so much it's worth their while to invest? Oh, depending on how much they've lost, recovery can be expensive, of course, uh, because you have to uh, retain law firms, freeze bank accounts, uh, pursue money trails. Uh, Usually in the larger scale fraud cases, it's worthwhile investing a certain amount of money into into trying to, you know, pursue the people behind uh, those scams. But, but, you know, it's, it's, it can be complex. these criminals are hiding behind the internet and the telephone. So that's the major barrier uh, is, is really uh, finding out where they're from, where they're, where they're you know, calling from, where they're, where they're actually sitting. And, uh, and, and we've sort of developed the art of being able to do that through various different means and methods uh, of being able to track them down into the, in their foreign countries and, uh, and, and take the fight right to the front line, uh, which is what we've become known for. Well, look, in that um, fantastic documentary, Swindle Kings of Manila, uh, where you did track down that major investment scam, that was so interesting um, to watch and Mm. certainly I think for the average person in the street to understand, you know, what happens behind the scenes there. But I felt Mm. for you because there was actually a hit out on you, wasn't there? And... um, I was kind of wondering, you know, what drives you to continue doing what you're doing despite despite those personal risks involved? What's behind that, Ken? Well, I will never, ever back down to criminals um, uh, and, and neither would any of the people that work for me. We, we don't, we're not phased by those types of threats. Um, you know, we have a job to do. Uh, we, when we hear about people trying to do that, uh, it makes us even more determined, more relentless uh, in order to take them down and put them behind bars where they belong, so so it doesn't actually deter me. It actually encourages me, uh, and, and and you know uh, there is of course uh, um, you know precautions that we have to take uh, when we travel and so forth. And uh, I've been doing this for three decades, so I'm I'm used to what what I need to do. I have a, a high level of awareness about the risks involved. And to me, it's just second nature. Uh, you know, people that come along on some of the operations get a bit, bit nervous, a bit, a bit, a bit concerned. But, uh, 
But uh, for us, it's just water off a duck's back. And uh, so you're I, I a seasoned, you're <laughs> a seasoned professional, and it's come and get me. Yeah, yeah I dare that's you. It. That's it. That's <laughs> it. We, we we love it when they want to bring the fight to us, and it's happened a few times. We've had some notorious criminals come uh, try and put out hits. Uh, of course, the most public one was Peter Foster, the notorious Australian con man who uh, who who tried to put a hit out on me in the Philippines and was. Uh, subsequently raided by the police uh, over it. Um, so there, there has been some controversial uh, cases in the media about it and uh, there's certainly been lots of threats that I've had in the Philippines. Um, and that particular story on, on Swindle Kings, uh, you know, that guy was told that that uh, that, that it, it do whatever it takes to get rid of me and, and that means even if that, that means killing me. You know, yeah. that's unfortunately in the Philippines, it's it's something that happens every day uh, in, in the criminal world. He was quite submissive in the end, though, wasn't he? I mean, I thought that was quite an interesting response at the end that, you know, he knew it was the game was over and, mm. uh, you know, would you like to sit down and have a cup of tea or, you know, I thought that was kind of really interesting. But I think that's your policing background really playing at work here. When I did e-crime, we had lots of computer skills and we did it with Victoria Police. This was with um, Melbourne University. And they are just, so your attitude that's kind of really coming through is very no-nonsense. There's no ambiguity here. You know, a crim is a crim. Mm. And, and I think at the corporate world we still walk around with some sort of doubt about that and I think that's why it works so well that we're collaborating in this way and I think there's obviously going to be a major opportunity for us to collaborate a lot more and for mm. cyber security people to kind of understand. So can we talk just a little bit about, you know, this typical profile of an average fraudster and scammer? Mm. You know, yeah. they're just opportunistic. Do they see an op opening in the market and they just pair that open with good tactics or are we seeing a, a massive big enterprise working behind it? No, look, there, there are different profiles for different types of groups. You know, the the typical online uh, scammer that that does stocks and shares, for example, selling selling the dream, the Wolf of Wall Street type guys. Uh, a lot of those guys are, are down and outers. They're drug addicts. They're alcoholics. They're they're convicted criminals. They've they've been in prison in their home country. They're, they're now living the life in the Philippines. Uh, most of the time, when we raid these uh, offices and we arrest these guys, they're they're quite uh sad cases you know they they're not really the high flying broker that that they would uh, let their client believe they are um and a lot of them are down of outers and they get recruited into these gangs to do the telephone sales um, so their profile is quite different to, for example, the profile of the masterminds who are the ones that you'd never see, the ones that make all the money um, and they're a little bit more hardcore. Uh, possibly a lot, a lot more um, uh, involved in, 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 in the criminal world than what, what their employees are. Um, so, you know, but, but, but as a general rule, these people uh, have a lack of remorse. They, uh, they're, they're very, very confident. Um, they have egos. They are 
driven by greed, uh, you know, um, and and they uh, they are, are generally um, not very nice people. Uh, you know, a, a lack of emotion, lack of remorse for their victims. Um, there's kind of a disconnection between them and and the people that they scam. Well, a massive. It sounds like they're the strategists. They're the crime strategists. Mm. And, you know, they've got all these grants working to a script. You know, we'll pay you to do this piece as we saw in that, in that video that played out. Is that, is that typically what we're seeing? Yes, that's right. We, we, these people that are running these scams are very clever. These are intellectually clever people who have developed scripts and they've developed ways uh, to uh, to convince people to part with their money, uh, they study, you know, all of these techniques such as NLP uh, and and these, um, you know, all these techniques, high pressure sales techniques on on how to get people to say yes and how to get them to come across on a telephone call and and and, and agree with them that that something is too good to be true and it's it's really uh, almost it, it's it's almost. Uh, like black magic. I mean, they cast a spell on some of the victims, and and some of the victims have said to me, "I, I was in this spell, and I, I couldn't. I just gave them, sent all this money, and then afterwards, I, I realised just just what I had done. You know, it kind of hit them. So it's it's quite extraordinary what they're able to do, and a lot of them work. Uh, from a script initially until they get so good at it that they they start to rattle it off the top of they their can head. Rattle, with, yeah, off the top of their head. <laughs> yeah. So there's a couple of things going on there. You know, this this NLP is really about they seem to be able to find, a, a, you know, a crack, a crack is the wrong word, but, you know, someone wants something and they seem to have a really good methodology detecting whether it's a relationship scam or an investment scam they seem to know that button to press is probably the best way to describe it and then they start just working on them you know things like you really if you're going to give me some money you really need to get to do me Mm, mm. you know those sort of tactics so other tactics because we also want this to be a bit educational as well for our cyber security listeners. So are there other things that you can tell us about, about why they are so successful? Um, look, I, I think it's all in the opening. It's all in the opening pitch. If you're talking about telephone scammers, it's all in the opening pitch. The first five to ten questions is going to secure them the deal or, or not. They're either going to hang up or they're going to they're going to they're going to uh, trigger something inside that victim's mind that's going to get them to engage. Now, that same philosophy also works uh, over the, whether it's uh, over the internet, whether it's somebody clicking on a site, whether it's a text message. Uh, a lot of scammers these days are sending text messages to, to people's phones. Yeah, saying, we've seen that. Mm, we've seen uh, that. We've seen that quite a lot, but you're not. I mean, we're worried about those as um, cybersecurity professionals because there's a lot of awareness to do, but they're not the ones you're chasing. No, no. that's Well, actually, uh, you'd be surprised. Some of the groups we're chasing are very, very large-scale organised crime networks from Israel um, who are running fraudulent platforms, and these we've recently 
done uh, some very interesting uh, undercover work on a particular group that purports to be based in Switzerland. They're actually based in Cyprus. Um, and we planted a seed with a fake name and a fake person and a fake phone number to see how many times that number would be shared amongst the community of these scammers. Um, and we've already uh, obtained 14 different companies now um, from this one call, and, and that's text messaging, um, you know, emails, uh, 14 different and distinct trading platforms, all that look completely different to one another, but yet they are all stemmed from one, uh, one engagement with, with, one, with one call centre. God, that's amazing reconnaissance work, isn't it? To understand, to understand that. So this is the kind of early stages of really trying to understand their modus operandi. Yes, correct, and and that it was a good exercise because we planted, we we set up one number, we contacted one agency. Um, one sort of platform and then we left it. Uh, we didn't invest, obviously, but what happened was that number of that fictitious, uh, you know, uh, person, investor, uh, suddenly was shared around all these different platforms and it was amazing. We're still getting calls and texts and emails from different uh, brand new platforms that are opening up all the time. And this name has now on the list, so we keep getting this phone keeps ringing <laughs> off the hook with it's all these amazing. different scammers ringing. So, you know, and we're monitoring and we're, we're doing a bit of a, a sort of a white paper, a bit of a study on this uh, as to how these people work. Now, that text message, they've been sending text messages to us, um, to our, our secret phone and, and saying, look, I've got this incredible opportunity today. Now, the average person that receives that will not realize that mm. that, that text, that platform that they connect with from that text they, 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 they click the link, they get sent to a platform, they connect on a trading platform and all of a sudden they're in for $200 and all of a sudden it goes up and up and up and suddenly they've done their life savings within six months. Um, and and what, what is behind those platforms is, is a multi-million dollar criminal industry. In fact, it's a billion dollar criminal industry run by Israeli criminals. They used to run the binary option scams for 10 years until it was outlawed in 2017. But, but these are large-scale organized crime groups, uh, more than 1,000 members, some of the gangs that we've been investigating. And, and they are the guys actually behind these text messaging that, that are coming in on an SMS oh, right. link. So, and so, it so is they're actually. all clipping the ticket. So you know, if so, when do they they make money when the scam occurs? So is that no. the is that the economic model? Uh, they, well, yes. They 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 the idea is is to attract people to the platform, which is a trading right. a, a foreign exchange trading platform, and they'll use all sorts of incredible marketing across all sorts of platforms, including Facebook. We've seen major advertisements in the middle of Facebook. Um, uh, they're using Facebook commercial ads to link to draw people to their platforms and doing extensive digital marketing across the world um, in all sorts of publications all sorts of websites forums blogs they're popping up everywhere um, on the internet on on your phone on your Facebook and and the, the idea behind that digital marketing is to attract you to their platform and once you get onto that platform 
uh, it, it may be a, a CFD, Forex trading platform, you know, promising all sorts of get rich, uh, you know, um, formulas and, and, and of course they get you into trading. Um, but the platform itself is fraudulent and the people behind it are scammers. And don't they look so authentic um, in one of the cases that I think we all saw recently to look at, you know, the website looked legitimate. They used someone who's who was very credible. They used his identity. I mean, they're really, it's just so hard for the average person to understand. But I think if we went back, we're going to talk a little bit later about, so what are the fundamentals here that we mm. can leave people with? Mm. But I wanted to ask you, is it just our proximity to um these regions that Australia is so attractive to cyber criminals? No, the proximity actually is it doesn't make any difference um, uh, whether we're, whether they're calling from Southeast Asia or Eastern Europe. Uh, you know, there the, there's uh, the way they they work in the digital world across uh, across the internet and, and media platforms. Uh, you know social media, uh, it doesn't really matter where they're based. The, the reason Australia is targeted is because we are probably one of the uh, the most lucrative places in the world for um, for, for these uh, for these scammers to um, to target because of the the fact that we're we're a reasonably wealthy country. you know most people here even People that have nine to five jobs that work a normal everyday job uh, can afford to lose a few hundred dollars here and there, and well, some can't. But most of us can. Mm. It's not going to. It's not going to break the bank if we lost a few hundred bucks. So they uh, we're isolated. A lot of Australians, you know, are not aware of what what's really going on out there on the internet and how all these organised crime groups work. Uh, with respect to investment fraud, um, and the average Aussie, I think the biggest thing, from what I see in in, in my role, is, is that the average Aussie is actually a pretty honest, hardworking person. You know, Aussies are, 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 are down to earth. We're, we're you know, we're, we're a pretty good, honest uh, community, and and those honest people are the ones that fall victim because yes. they have never experienced. Um, somebody being dishonest to them to this degree, um, luring them into something that seems so exciting and so amazing uh, when it's actually a scam. So they, they can't comprehend that someone would ever do that. Uh, and that's the problem. That's the problem that we're that So we're we've got a trust. Here. We've got a trust problem. We've got a trust problem born out of, uh, you know, the, the gr- greatness of our community. It's not a bad thing. It, it's It's... It's unfortunately, you know, it, it's it's because we're so trusting um, that that's what's got so many Australians into so much trouble. Mm. And I did want to ask you because I'm really curious, without disclosing anything too confidential, maybe something that's out in the public domain that you started mm. talking about a little bit earlier, can you tell us probably a little bit about one of the most interesting and challenging recoveries that you've done? There, there is one particular case which I think is is, is worthy to mention, and in fact, the victim of this crime, uh, it, it was an investment fraud, a boiler room, share market fraud. The the victim was a Sydney architect. 
um, who lost $1.8 million, his entire superannuation. He invested with a company in the States, um, or he thought it was in the States, and only to find out that it was actually a group of criminals operating out of the Philippines. So he lost his entire life savings. Uh, he was destitute. He went to the, the media. He went to the police. Nobody would help him. He came to me in, in uh, 2012, um, and we conducted an investigation. And cut a long story short, we, we chased uh, the bankers all over the world. They were Israelis. Uh, we chased them in um, in, in Israel, in in England, um, in um, uh, Belgium, and uh, we sh- sort of shook them all up a, a little bit and, and threatened them with uh, fraud charges. And we end up uh, actually at some of the one of the Israeli bankers came forward and did a deal with us um, to give us the name of the mastermind of this gang, a 39 year old British man. Um, we ended up arresting him in October of 2014. Uh, when we arrested him, he was carrying bank statements on him in his briefcase with 2.2 million US dollars in his bank account in Hong Kong. We we subsequently froze that money. Uh, we put him in jail. He was arrested and jailed. Uh, and whilst he was in jail, uh, we um, we we basically um, made sure that the, the funds were, were seized. And we ended up doing a deal uh, with this uh, this mastermind uh, of this gang and. Uh, to hand over the 2.2 million, and uh, the case itself was extraordinary. I was um, I had death threats during the case from Philippine, and uh, in, in fact, uh, not only death threats but but threats of being charged with other uh, horrific crimes uh, up in the Philippines. Um, I had uh, heavies visiting my hotel room. They had found out where I was living in the Philippines. Uh, it was um, the subject of a story in a book called. Um, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels uh, by Matthew Benz at the Daily Telly. It, it actually features in that book this story. Um, it was extraordinary, but we we went against the odds. We continued and continued until we had this guy in prison, and we uh, we got two point two million off him. He agreed to sign the money over if it, in return for dropping the case. So we actually got the two point two million back. So was there, I guess that makes me really curious, did he give up the loose change to hold on to the the bigger amount, do you think, in the end? Well, no, he he uh, he gave up what he had. Uh, in, in we, we don't believe he had much more money. He had this mm. $2.2 million, uh, put away into his, uh, uh, into one of his bank accounts in Hong Kong. Um, and he was going back to England to buy a house. He was actually on his way back there when we arrested right. him at Manila International Airport. Um, he subsequently got out of the business and uh, went into real estate. Um, and uh, and you know the, you know the amazing thing is that he stayed in touch with me and uh, and and continued to cooperate with me in relation to other other matters that I was inquiring about. Because he said that of all the people that I came across, you were the only one that that actually. Did what you said and uh, and and actually helped me because I I put him in jail and I also got him out which was a bit weird. He respected you. <laughs> yep. He it had sounds a like yeah. It sounds like you know that was the case. So the architect that handed over the money, you know, your entire superannuation fund, mm. is that I'm going to triple it? Is that I, I you know I want to make more? Is greed driving that? behavior yeah I, th- I think that um, that greed has to play a part in all of these uh, investments you know um, but 
but again, going back to the average, you know, honest, hardworking Aussie uh, who just wants to make a better life for his family, you know, it's questionable whether greed is the main motive. Mm. Um, sometimes they, uh, they're they driven by the desire to want to have a better life. Um, mm. I was on the phone to a client this morning whose two sons have a, a disability, a severe disability that's going to uh, cut their life drastically short. And um, he was taken, he had 2.7 million, his entire life savings taken from him in an investment scam. Um, And it was just, just devastating um, to hear his story, you know, Uh, and uh, uh, people, people, uh, people that are left in that kind of financial ruin can't often uh, cannot get back on their feet again. It's, 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 uh, it's a devastating crime. Um, But, uh, that's, you know, that's uh, just a devastating story, isn't it? But, um, you know, what can the cybersecurity industry do more of to help prote- protect Australians from cybercrime, you know, given the well, size of the problem? Are there some tangibles that you could give us? I mean, those stories help us, you know, tell people when we're running awareness programs, if it's mm. too good to be true, it's... It's not real, you know. That that's right. Uh, look, the, the, the cybersecurity community in Australia are doing a pretty good job. Um, you know, I, I travel a lot in foreign countries, and I speak a, a lot at different uh, different events, and uh, I, I work a lot in foreign countries also. And um, you know, the the cybersecurity community in Australia is is quite strong and doing quite a lot. Um, a lot more than a lot of other countries, um, but but it's difficult to know exactly where to uh, you know where to direct the attention because there are so many moving factors. It's such a, a rapidly evolving area um, that that it's 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 very difficult to put. Uh, to 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 put the solution into into one uh, one formula, you know, it's it's a complex area. Um, but what I would like to see is a lot of these fake investment trading platforms, um, these these websites, these fake financial advisory firms, all of these massive amount of scams that are targeting Aussies. I'd love to see the websites blocked. And that's something that the ACCC are capable of doing. Uh, we've blocked websites before in other countries. We uh, we blocked the Manny Pacquiao fight in uh, the UAE and Dubai uh, because our client had the exclusive uh, broadcast rights for that fight. Um, and the government blocked it for the duration of the fight. They blocked uh, all of these pirated sites in the UAE. So I know that the Australian government is quite capable of blocking websites and it would be nice to see the government get in on the act and actually start to 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 block some of these sites that are that are targeting Australians and and stealing uh, you know their life savings. It's interesting you mentioned the ACCC. I ploughed through the 258-page report there's 23 major recommendations and coming back to your point about because Google and because Facebook have no regulation over what they advertise, we, mm. you know, one of the recommendations is that we've got to put some uh, rigour and discipline and compliance around their advertising and fake news. And, look, there's, there's a whole piece of work that needs to be done there. 
you know, the uh, the 17.2 million people on Facebook um, every day in Australia. So, you know, I think there's some wow. serious, yep, some serious work that we can start, you know, multifaceted, targeted sort of attack. Now, we're just about to run out of time. Um, congratulations on the Kennedy Media Award. That's just fantastic for outstanding reporting. That was for 60 Minutes, yeah, who covered our story. Uh, it was uh, extraordinary. They, they've, uh, Liam Bartlett and uh, Joel Tozer, the producer, have picked up the, the Kennedy Award for Excellence in relation to that story in the Philippines. Yeah, that, that's just absolutely. And that's what you need. That just mm. getting, getting that, that award for great work is fantastic. Now, how do people get in contact with you um, in relation to following you on social media or getting in touch? Uh, IFW Global. Uh, if if you, right. you, know, you, can, you can Google it, that we've got uh, t- Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, um, our website. We're publishing podcasts on our website. We've got uh, eBooks about uh, uh, about scams and um, how to do to you know how to avoid them. Also, how to how That's we go fantastic. about recovery. So we're publishing uh, you know a number of eBooks which have been very helpful to a lot of a lot of victims of scams who don't know what to do. They're able to go onto our website and have a look around and and see uh, you know what's going on in the business. And very soon we're releasing a podcast um, exposing the voices of some of these masterminds of these telephone scams and exactly the type of techniques that they use. Um, and that, that podcast will be published very soon on our website uh, at ifwglobal.com. Look forward to that. And is there any last thing that you'd like to say to our cybersecurity community? And you can't get them to come into, by the way, into cybercrime because we need them in cybersecurity. Yes, that's right. <laughs> it, 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 it is a different industry. Uh, you know, it, it's quite quite different in the in the, in the sense that cybersecurity is very much defensive, um, building walls. Uh, uh, whereas a lot of our work is quite offensive, and we're, we're actually taking the fight and going after these uh, people on the other side of the world. But the cybersecurity uh, industry, uh, you know, is, is is impressive in Australia. As I said, we work with a lot of uh, professionals here, and uh, there's a lot of world class uh, professionals in this country. Um, we should be very proud of them. Uh, they're doing a great job, and uh, and Australia is at the forefront. Um, of, of many countries in the world uh, in, in relation to our cybersecurity here. We have our problems, but but I think overall, uh, I think we're, we're ahead of the game. Thank you. That's just a lovely compliment for our community. I mean, for those of us that have worked across threat intelligence, you know, these are other threat actors. They're no different, really. The only difference is that we're not doing the chase you are. And, Correct. Um, you know, we've got a lot of organisations around the world trying to aggregate that threat intelligence to help us as a community. So thank you for all your lovely compliments and your time and just really appreciate you sharing all those insights with us. Beverly, what a captivating discussion you had with Ken there. It was also so clear that your passion for e-crime shone through in that discussion. So thank you for that. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Just in terms of my key takeaways, honestly, 
I was really impressed with Ken's resolve. The fact that he's just not phased and he continues to to fight for justice. And yes, you could argue that he's he has a business out of this as well. But there is no amount of millions of dollars you could pay me to put myself at that level of personal risk. So I really admire Ken for that. But that's that background in policing that I called out. When I worked um, with some of the police over the the years, LEA, law enforcement, the dedication, I've just never seen anything like it. And that resolve that you talked about to the bitter end till they catch their crim. Yep. They're just amazing like that. Yeah, that fight for justice. And thank goodness somebody is seeing it through to the end in this way and that there is a service available because I feel like there is a gap in what we are able to provide people who who are hit by these scams. And we've obviously seen the great work that ID Care do and they're able to support people and, and help them with a recovery plan. But there comes a point in the time where they might not get that money back. Mm. There's a lot of people that never see their money again and their lives are dramatically altered, the course of their lives are dramatically altered as a result of that. Don't we want to just make that better for everybody, better for all Australians? I certainly know you and I do and um, I just loved hearing how he goes about um, finding those criminals and I thought it was interesting They're not opportunistic criminals. They are massive, big networks just like what exists in cyber security, building malware. You know, go buy it, but go buy it from a massive, big corporation. And the description about the people that are doing the scripts, there are well NLP designed scripts that are, that are, manipulating people through that script to get them to start trusting and handing over and making it believable. Yeah, I think, you know, Ken used the word, I think it was that they're under a, they felt they're under a spell. Mm. And I must admit, I didn't realise quite how professional those scripts had become. Um, it's you know come a long way from the Nigerian prince emails that we saw, you know back in the day. So or your inheritance, or you know I want to transfer all this money, but you'll have to give me the tax upfront. The story about the Sydney architect—it's a lot of money to lose. You know, one point eight million dollars. How do you ever rebuild? You know, especially if you're near retirement. Um, so great to have that conversation and unpack all of that with Ken. I thought he was very generous talking through all the minutiae about how to, how to, how to protect yourself online. And last but not least, we can't go past that wonderful compliment he gave the cybersecurity industry and particularly in Australia. It, it's just a reminder that there are other countries out there that don't have uh, people working to protect consumers in the way that we do here in Australia. 
So that was, I thought, a yeah, great it was call a lovely shout out to our profession. So enjoy that compliment um, to our cybersecurity community. It was fantastic. Yep. Thanks, all right. Louisa. Thank you, Beverly. That's about all we've got time for today. And uh, thanks for listening. Don't forget to give us feedback about what you like, what you don't like, what guests you'd like to see. Uh, we have created this podcast for you, so don't hesitate to let us know what you want. Thanks for listening to the Cybersecurity Cafe podcast. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes and for more information, visit cybersecuritycafe.com.au and find us on Twitter at CyberSEC Cafe.